Morning, everyone. All right, story time. Uh, the year is 2007, and I, Willis, wasn't a Christian. Uh, I'm at my first Christian camp, co-run by what would eventually become my home church. Uh, I'm going since lots of my friends are going, uh, after one of my good friends invited us. Uh, during the camp, I'm enjoying the socializing, uh, playing games, playing sport, and the food was good. Uh, but as you'd expect for a non-Christian, Bible study, not so riveting. Except one thing perks me up during them. One of my friends who's come along is a bit, I don't want to say militant, but he's challenging toward all spiritual ideas and concepts. Uh, he launches questions left, right, and center to our Bible study leaders. And something our leader uh, does in answering his questions drives my friend up the wall. He answers from the Bible. If he answers from the Bible one more time, I'm just going to walk out, my friend says. And a few weeks after the camp, I remember looking back and thinking, well, he's a Christian, right? Where should he get his answers from then? For us as Christians, the Bible is God's Word. It's come from God Himself. The Bible is crucial to how we live and how we conduct ourselves as Christians. And looking back, even though I hadn't realized that at the time, that Bible study leader really modeled that in front of me. I realized how serious he took the Bible. To him, the Bible was God's Word. He was someone who was deep in God's Word. And today I'm going to be looking at the idea of how, as disciples of Jesus, we are to be deep in God's Word. As in, we're to know God's Word and have it shape our living and our conduct. And we'll be going through 2 Timothy 3 to do this. And what we'll see in this chapter is this, this comparison created between those who aren't disciples, the godless, and how they view God, compared with disciples and Paul's encouragement for them to live out God's Word. Now, straight away, uh, Paul starts with a but in verse 1 and tells Timothy and everyone reading to understand this. So we need to be on the lookout. Then he says, in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Things are going to be hard. And for the next four verses from verses 2 to 5, we get a list of what some people are going to be like. Uh, for some people, uh, sorry, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving God, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. And this is actually a list of what false teachers will be like, according to Paul. Now, starting off, with, uh, starting off this list with the first four, they're going to show 
selfishness in loving themselves, loving money, being proud and arrogant too. Next on the list, we see kinds of destructive behavior by them. They'll be abusive to others, disobedient to their parents, not looking good so far. These false teachers seem to put themselves as number one. Then we get four un-words. Here at your church, you use the ESV, which translates the last two words slightly differently, but these false teachers will be ungrateful, unholy, unloving, and unforgiving. Each of these illustrate the opposite of a characteristic of true faith. Their speech and behavior are also going to be problematic. They'll be slandering others, meaning they'll make false rumors and lies about others. And this is so serious because other passages say two things about slander. That people prone to slandering others destroy the church and that slandering folks do actually exist in the church. And then there's the fact that they might be without self-control, which is actually a qualification of those who serve the church. Now, I've covered a good number of them, and there are a few more terms which I won't actually get into, but a few things are really clear from this list. The descriptions that Paul puts out tells us that these people won't be appealing to be around. And Paul's talking about false teachers. They have some kind of influence within the church. He was saying to Timothy and co, they'd encounter a number of them in the last days. Now, I think it's fairly clear that it probably had already happened when Paul wrote this letter, or that it would happen soon. But what that means for us today is that we're also likely, if not more likely, to encounter them. Now, think about it. Why even bring it up if there was no need to worry about it until hundreds and hundreds of years down the track? And I have to say, I've, I've preached here a few times. I've met a good number of you. But since this isn't my home church, I actually don't know how much of this list applies to all of you. But one thing is for sure. None of us are immune from everything on this list. Now, living in an upper, in a middle to upper class, sorry, in a middle to upper middle class society, it's not so easy, sorry, isn't it so easy for us to become focused on, entranced by, and possibly even lovers of money? Self-control also isn't the easiest of things for a lot of people. Uh, Then, personally, having grown up in a different culture to my parents, I find that honoring and being obedient to them isn't always the easiest thing to do. So self-reflection over this list is at the very least warranted. With verse 5 giving us a sobering explanation of what these things result in. False teachers have the appearance of godliness and deny its power, and they are to be avoided. The false teachers, the godless, are to be avoided. 
And it's in verse 8 that we see why Paul gives such a big warning, just as Yannis and Yambres supposedly opposed Moses uh, during Exodus. So these men also oppose the truth. It's all about God's truth, and that's the problem that Paul is addressing about these false teachers. Even though there are people in teaching positions, it's that they oppose the truth of the gospel. They may know God's Word well, well enough to teach it and have a position of influence, but they teach another gospel. So if you're ever concerned about whether you as a teacher could be accused of being a false teacher, or if you're dubious about the person that's teaching, it's all got to do with whether their words line up with God's words just as Timothy says here. Because if what they're saying is untrue, it'll pan out just like how Paul says in the start of verse 9, and their folly will be plain to all. So to recap for us here, Paul has said to be on the lookout for false teachers, giving us a whole list of what they might look like or what actually qualifies someone as a false teacher. And I think you'd be right in thinking that they don't live out the way God wants his people to live. I'm going to come back to this later. Now, when I was thinking of how to illustrate this, I couldn't help but think of this idea of a rebellious team member. Also couldn't really find a good image either. But You might have had an experience with team members who didn't really help your team's cause or made it hard for others to do their jobs. And it becomes really troublesome because they're meant to be helping you. Uh, When I used to work in the city at a cafe, uh, we had this one girl called uh, Mary. At first, she seemed really pleasant to work with. Uh, Turned up to work early, didn't complain, did her job well, and she was really quick too. Things changed when she told our boss that she wanted as many hours as he could give her, and he complied. Uh, Then came her complaints, saying that her social life was falling apart. And observing this from a distance was hard, because it made things really stressful for our boss. The thing about team members like this is that they're supposed to be there to help whatever cause we're a part of. Maybe it's a project at work, making sure whatever we produce is good. Maybe it's in a sport team. It's the same for us as Christians. As Christians, we're meant to live in this world as faithful followers of Jesus, encouraging one another, challenging one another. And the thing is, the false teachers supposedly are doing the same thing as well. And everything that was in that list in verses 2 to 5 just makes it so much harder to do that. Being lovers of self, arrogant, abusive, these are the kind of team members you'd rather not encounter. Now, one of the key things in the first half of chapter 3 is in the middle of verse 8. These men also oppose the truth. This whole list so far has been about false teachers. 
given that Paul is talking about these false teachers here, we want to think about what disciples would be doing instead. Because opposing God's truth is not what we do as disciples. Instead of being lovers of self, disciples are to love others first. They are not to love money because they might end up serving it as a master. They ought to love good. They ought to have self-control. They ought to love God rather than love pleasure. These are all characteristics from God's Word. So, in many ways, the list we have in verses 2 to 5 can actually be a really helpful list to get us to reflect, self-examine our heart, our living, and our character. And perhaps the difference between a false teacher and a struggling Christian is the degree to which we struggle with the vices in that list or the severity of our selfishness. As we talk about disciples being people who take God's Word seriously, there are some major connections we can make in this list. Now, one of the most immediate ones we can talk about is lovers of money. Uh, In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus talks about the dangers of serving two masters with the focus being about money. And I think it's very appropriate that it, it appears in today's chapter and Matthew 6, because money does often become this master which drives people in the wrong way to do unhelpful things. It's so important that we're constantly examining ourselves, our own character, according to God's Word. This list is helpful for that. Perhaps you find yourself uh, slipping into being ungrateful for what you have or being unloving to others around you. For many of us, we struggle in getting the knowledge in our heads down that, that complex path to the place where performance occurs. Because true godliness is seen in action. It comes from the Word. And again, we can't be truly godly if we don't know what that looks like. If our faith in God is not producing a visible change of lifestyle, we aren't experiencing genuine godliness. We might ask ourselves if we have enough of these ungodly characteristics to qualify as false teachers. But alternatively, we could view any one of them as an indication that we need to seek God's forgiveness and for His help in our change. And even more importantly, we need to be careful of oversimplifying many of these tendencies as just human nature. Jesus came to renew human nature, and genuine life in the Spirit is a demonstration that His renewal is underway. This list, like many other parts of God's Word, gives us great instruction for our living, our conduct, and a way for us to examine how our character is going. Now, getting into the second half of this chapter, uh, Paul starts by explaining the difference Timothy has with the false teachers uh, that Timothy knows full well. Paul's journey. 
his teaching and stories of how he lived. The false teachers live and teach one way, which verses 1 to 9 laid out, but here, from verse 10 onwards, Paul gives a completely different model for Timothy. Starting from verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Going on, uh, Paul gives this comparison between what will happen to Jesus' followers and basically the false teachers again. Verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And so when we get to our key and most important part of today's passage for understanding how God's disciples are deep in God's Word. As Paul tells Timothy, instead, how disciples are to live with God's Word at the forefront. For the rest of the chapter, from verse 14, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Having just finished talking about the false teachers again, Paul says, as for you, as for you, my brother in Christ, urging Timothy to keep living according to God's word. Because, as it says at the end of verse 15, they're able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And those famous verses 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, friends, if there ever was a strong contrast for what false teachers do differently from disciples, this section helps us know it. As Paul points Timothy to his teaching, conduct, aim in life, and the like, this question pops up for me. When you read the rest of the Bible, do you feel the, the visceral things happening to God's faithful people as they struggle, as they suffer, and when they are persecuted? When you read the words that point out what a godly life looks like and how it's different to the way the world lives, how ready are you to accept that we are going to live a life of struggle? How ready are you to accept that false teachers are going to keep going on and on, becoming worse and worse in deceiving people? 
But as disciples, we've got a different call put before us to endure, to persevere, to continue in what we know and what's given to us in God's Word, that which can bring a person to faith in salvation. Because God's Word was written for that purpose. It can achieve that purpose because God is ultimately where the Word came from. The fact, that fact gives us confidence that what we read in the Bible is trustworthy and has authority for our lives, guiding us into all that's good. And so, it's useful for leading people in His ways because it's used for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And all for the purpose that God's people would be fit and ready for the good work that God has set for Him. And so we need to ask ourselves, are we heeding Paul's instruction that he gives to Timothy and other Christians that we are to continue learning from God's Word? Because that's what Christians are to do, according to Paul, in verse 14. Now, it's just, it's kind of like how certain types of people or professions ought to do certain things. Okay, I, I know that sounds kind of inane, but think of it like this. Now, retail workers should know products well, how those products work, the benefits of one product over other, another similar product and how to convince people that the product they're looking at is what they need to buy. Or chefs should know how to cook and prepare food. They know how to make the food delicious and do it in a timely manner. Or students should know their study material well. They should be hitting the books regularly and have strategies to learn and retain information efficiently. Emphasis on should here. Certain types of people or professions ought to do certain things. And just like those above people, Christians, especially according to Paul, are to know God's, God's Word well, are to be deep in God's Word. The truth is that retail workers, chefs, and students can't do their vocation very well if they aren't well-versed in those skills. And so, for disciples, for followers of Jesus, it's really hard for us to be followers if we're not aware of what God says disciples are to be like or how they are to live. Now, friends, let me reiterate. As disciples, we see that we're to be deep in the Word. That is... We're not only to spend time in it, but have the Scriptures shape our living, our thinking, our actions. As evangelicals, we're often prone to being too word-focused and that we don't give enough time to think about our living and our conduct. While Christians outside of the evangelical tradition, it's the opposite problem. Lots of thinking about how they live but not driven enough to think about where it came from, the Word. It's no surprise that striking a middle ground is really important here. 
So let me speak to you, brothers and sisters. As disciples, are we encouraged to live according to God's word? You want to follow Jesus? You have God's word. It's not as simple as just knowing what's in it, though. Knowing the information in God's word only gets you so far. But you do need to know what's in God's word to follow Jesus. You need to know that information to follow Jesus well. And that's where the heart of the issue lies. But why Scripture? Well, because it's God-breathed. It comes from God. It has those four uses that are all critical to the Christian life. Teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. As human beings, we all long for meaning. We have big questions that we want answered. What's the purpose of life? Where am I from? Is there life after death? How do I get to heaven? Why is the world full of evil? Why do I struggle to do good? These are all things addressed by God's Word, which means that God's Word already deals with these things that almost all humans want to know the answers to. But more importantly, as followers of Jesus, as disciples, we ask, how can we know God? How can we be corrected to be on the narrow path, to be on the path to God? How can we be be prepared to do the good works and works of righteousness so that people we love can know God and know Him intimately? All these things which followers of Jesus want answers to are addressed in God's Word. But ultimately, we need to be deep in the Word to not be swayed by false teaching as well. Think of the women that Paul describes in verse 6 and 7. They were women who were led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. These women were in serious need of knowing God's word well, so they wouldn't get swayed. And this is something that Paul addresses in Ephesians verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 14, in talking about why God gives ministry workers to equip the saints to be mature in Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. And so my encouragement to you is to not just read God's Word, but to go deeper. Regular Bible study is a great place to start, but the practical outworking when it comes to God's Word is endless. Look through the parts of the Bible you've always found hard to understand. Work those things out. Have conversations with people about what you've read in the Bible. I saw earlier that you have community groups. What a great place to be digging in. Set personal and practical outcomes that are driven by what you've read in God's Word, like practicing forgiveness. The possibilities are infinite. 
Now, friends, today we've looked at how disciples are to be deep in God's Word by looking through 2 Timothy, Timothy chapter 3. In this passage, we were given a comparison between the godless folk who reject God's Word, the false teachers, and how they tend to live, what they tend to do. After that was the encouragement that Paul gives to disciples to take Scripture seriously and live by it. It's important that we take Paul's word in this chapter here seriously because the Bible is so critical for how we live as Christians. Again, the truth is that it's hard for us to know how to follow Jesus, how to live as his disciples if we don't know God's word. In that sense, we need it. Otherwise, we'd be running blind if we aren't looking into it. And so my encouragement to you, brothers and sisters, is again to have God's word change the way you do things, the way you conduct yourself, the way you live, the way you love others, for that's what disciples do. They follow. And we are to follow God's word given to us. Let me pray. Dear Father, as your people, we praise you as the loving God who has passed his word down through the ages, through your servants. We confess, Father, that we often neglect and overlook what your word says about many things. Instead, we choose to go with worldly wisdom. We thank you that, that you still love us regardless, and we thank you for giving your word to us, preserving it into the form it's in now, that we have free access to it in this country, and that it speaks on all things pertaining to godliness, and that it's useful for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Father, please work in us through your Spirit to love your Word more, to be convicted and know that we need to be reading your Word, and that all worldly wisdom is foolishness compared to what we see in the Bible. We pray also, Father, for help in abiding by your word, and that in doing so we can live truly as disciples of your Son, Jesus. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen.